It's time for the No Shot Clock Podcast. We're talking the biggest stories in Illinois high school basketball. Now, here are your hosts, Michael O'Brien of the Chicago Sun-Times and Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Boost Report. Welcome in, everybody. We are fresh off the game of the year at Winchester Arena, where Glenbard West's unbeaten streak came to an end to Sierra Canyon. We're going to talk about that, Mike, uh, today with our two takes and also a whole bunch of questions. We open it up. I think we do this every year, Mike, or at least once a year where we kind of open it up and make a our whole segment on little questions and answers from our listeners, and that's what we're doing today. Yep, thanks everybody for sending it in. We got some big ones, some long ones, some good ones. It should be an interesting kind of all-encompassing uh, look at high school basketball, and everybody's really excited right now. You can kind of feel it. We had a great, that great, a couple great events over the weekend, and things are rolling on. Um, we'll also have a, I guess at some point we're going to look briefly ahead at the uh, public league Elite Eight and championships, since that's going to happen before we come back. Also, Joe, if you want to hit that, I've not looked at the schedule. I won't lie, but the East Suburban Catholic Conference tournament. Ugh. Does that end this weekend? I don't know. <laughs> but uh... I don't even really pay attention to it. I don't, <laughs> I'm not a conference tournament guy, so yeah, me neither. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get into these questions because we got a lot of them, and they're good. And uh, some new guys, new new blood. I like it when we get some new blood. First one is new. It's from Dan. Dan says some nice things about our high school coverage and then gets into this question. He says, I watched Simeon play a few times recently, and the Rubin brothers are a load. When Simeon played Glenbrook South at Bennett, one of the Rubens was injured, and the other one came off the bench and dominated. Uh, it was Wes that was injured. He just came back on Saturday. And it was Miles who came off the bench. He's been coming off the bench all year. Anyway, the question goes on. My question at the time was, why doesn't this Reuben play most of the game? Then this weekend's game started, so I figured the other one was still hurt, but later on he came in. I realized Simeon seems like a guard-oriented team, but the Rubens would definitely neutralize any team with an inside game. They did play together for a few minutes Saturday, but I think they would dominate the game if they were in together. Then let the three skilled small guards dominate from the outside. I realize Robert Smith is considered a veteran coach, but how is not having both those kids on the floor at the same time, at least for most of the game, not a good idea? Dan? <laughs> Anyone who sat next to me recently at a Simeon game uh, knows I have many of the same questions. Um, Miles Rubin, to me, is literally one of the at least 30 best players in the area, period. He is a dominant defensive force, completely dominant in the paint. I have no idea what is going on there. Uh, it's I was also extremely puzzled when Wes Rubin didn't play. And then Miles, I mean, he usually comes in at the four-minute mark, like clockwork. Um, him and Robinson, Nicholas Robinson check in. Simeon, they always do this. They have regular rotations. The starters aren't necessarily the five best players. I get that. I was... 
assuming that that something was going on. You know, a lot of times transfers won't start. So I understood why maybe Miles didn't start. Now, however, when Wes Rubin got hurt and Miles didn't start, I, w- I don't understand that at all. I had a hard time. I'm not sure what's going on at this point. I don't know if it's an internal thing, but I completely agree with everything Dan said, and I'm d- very puzzled. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to put my trust in Rob Smith and what he's doing and, and what he feels is best for his team as far as, you know, it comes down to minutes and style of play. <clears throat> and all across basketball, I don't care what level it is, there's multiple examples like this. You can, you can look at Purdue. Zach Eady and Travion Williams, two bigs that never play together. Uh, they're the two best players of the team. So, you know, mixing and matching, whether it be matchups, whether it be minutes, uh, is just some coaches are comfortable with certain things that from the outside we wouldn't know. And, um, you know, the one I would agree is if, you know, once Wes was hurt and Miles not starting, I have no idea. But, you know, I, I just – it is a different game, and a lot of people don't play with two bigs. They just don't. And well, if you're running, if you're running a certain offense, if you I, you can you can pick out it, a, a multiple of offenses where uh, Wesley Rubin and Miles Rubin would not be on the floor together. But he they do play with two bigs. It's Lance Rogers. Well, I, but I'm saying with Wesley, as far as interchangeable, keeping them off, for keeping them fresh, keeping minutes, I, that, that's what Rob Smith sees and what's he's, what he's dealing with on a daily basis. I mean, you I, could, I mean? yeah, I think there could be a real simple reason. Miles is definitely usually in at the end when it matter in crunch time. So, and he's a major shot blocker, and so there could be a a really good point reason, and it could be that he doesn't want Miles Rubin in foul trouble. He wants that shot blocking there at the end of the game in the fourth quarter and isn't so concerned about it in the first quarter. And Lance Rogers is the guy who's been with the program the whole time. He's the senior. I I would understand that, you know, 100%. And I will say that Miles Rubin is in in crunch time. So maybe this is a bit overblown. uh, Yeah, and and the other thing I'd like to say, I mean, you can look up college stats and NBA stats and minutes and – I would love to see their minutes, you know, their average per game minutes, which, I mean, not really kept track of in high school basketball. Uh, but that would be interesting to me to see with Simeon in particular. Yeah, I would say, because he also comes in at the four-minute mark in the third quarter. So basically, he doesn't play a quarter <clears> of the game, the, the first four minutes of each half. And, it, it, I mean, Simeon is like that, even, it doesn't matter what the score is or what's happened, and they've been like this for years under Robert Smith. He has a rotation. And I think in a lot of ways, even though a lot of times I've not agreed with it and been puzzled by it over the years, you could probably, if we had a producer again, you could go back and find this numerous times. But even if, who cares if I agree with it or if other people do, I think it's very good that the kids know. And I think they're, they like it. I think that structure is successful. And I think there's some teams, especially in the public league right now, that are dying for that and don't know what is going on and they don't have a rotation or any structure. And I think it's hurting a couple of the talented teams right now. So maybe, you know, Arvin Smith's won a few state titles, <laughs> as Joe said. Remember the, remember the five on uh, five in, five out yeah. uh, <laughs> season? It didn't last the whole, it wasn't a long run of that, but they did do that for a little while. At the beginning, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's always interesting, but it's a, it's a good thing to watch. It was a great question, Dan, because it's something that's been on my mind an awful lot. And, I mean, Miles Rubin, man, to get back to that, he is really good. I mean, I know Wes was kind of considered earlier 
you know, the guy, and he's more automatic in the post. You can count on him more to just put that ball, you know, the little two foot gimme. But the Miles Rubin has some, the upside there. Wow. I've uh, been really, yeah. Impressed. I mean, you know, in my player rankings with the recruiting service and all that, you know, Miles has always been, um, you know, ranked a little higher. Uh, but they're both Division One prospects and they are, uh, you know, they're both among the, the, the better big men in the entire class. Question number two from Adam. <clears throat> he says, thanks for your great coverage of IHC Hoops this year. It's nice to see the interest returning. Um, did Sierra Canyon, oh, sorry, did this Sierra Canyon game change your perspective of Glenbard West? I know you've lobbied for Simeon over West, but that was a pretty gritty performance against a team stacked with talent. If West would have hit their free throws at their normal season average, they had a very good chance at winning that game. Just curious if your perspective has changed at all. Um, Adam, yeah, you know, I definitely, uh, the, after the Kenwood loss, I 100% felt that Simeon was playing better, uh, than Glenbard West at the time. You know, Simeon has had some bumps since then. Wes Rubin got hurt. You know, it hasn't been the same team without Wes Rubin. So I wasn't worried about that really anymore about Simeon being number one, Glenbard West number one. It just, it wasn't a problem with Wes Rubin out. Um, now he's back. Uh, he's probably not up to steam 100%. I know Robert Smith said he wanted to make sure he got some minutes here before the big Elite Eight games this weekend. Um, but yes, the game did change my perspective of Glenbard West. I, I thought they definitely played better than I thought they would. Um, and boy, are you right about the free throws. You know, that's something I wish I, I, I got it into my story. One of the versions, they were what? I, I don't have it with me now, but they missed eight or nine. And that's the game. Um, however, I think they missed eight or nine because of the pace of the game. They were tired, mm -hmm. tired legs. I mean, it was guys, it wasn't like bench dudes missing free throws. It was Huff and Pierce, you, you know, and those guys and then, hit their free throws. And it was front end, uh, yeah. you know, the front end of the rim. It was, while they were tired, I give them an unbelievable amount of credit. And it's, I've talked about this with a number of people since the game, uh, talk with, the, with Coach Apoka. How the, the thing impressed me the most is they were literally on the ropes once, twice, maybe even three times because of, I think they were gassed. They were, there were moments where they were hunched over. They were on their knee, you know, holding their hands on knees and, and hips. And to their credit, each time that happened, they completely fought through it. And whether it made a run or made a comeback or cut it to one or whatever. That's what they did that impressed me the most, uh, because they were tired, and that's and that that did I think uh, result in those missed free throws. Yeah, it was really clear. You know, I, they gave me a great seat. I was right courtside, and you could see right away when that kind of hit. And boy, how valuable is that? It's something I didn't even think about heading into the game. I mean, they've got weeks now to work on their conditioning, and there's. I mean, you can tell a kid something a million times, even a smart kid, but until he actually lives it, you know, that's totally different. So imagine what those kids are going at right now <laughs> to get up to snuff for the next time that comes, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. On a, I think the college court made a big difference, also the style of play. Um, and the other thing, Mike, that makes a huge difference, if everybody's ever played in big games and talked to people, and those early moments of a big game uh, are – and you haven't been in them before like that are exhausting. They, they take your toll, uh, just, you know, from a physical and emotional standpoint, it zaps you. 
you know, and, and that happens in, in environments like that and big games like that, that a lot of people don't take into account. And now they'll, they'll understand that. And I mean, what m- most impressed me, I guess, about Glenbird West was the, the vaunted one, three, one zone defense, slightly worthless <laughs> in this game. I mean, maybe not worthless, but they weren't getting the points. You know, off transition, off the steal. It just wasn't an issue, especially with the way Glenbard West, or sorry, Sierra Canyon shot the ball. So you took away their greatest weapon and look, and they're still in the last seconds in that game against Sierra Canyon. To me, that was really impressive to watch them, you know, have to win or almost win a different way. That, that was really interesting to me because it just, it wasn't, you know, I and mean, we've all seen what happens with that. I mean, if anything, it was the opposite. And Glenbird West was having a ton of issues, you know, with Sierra Canyon's um, press. And there aren't going to be, we don't have any teams with guards that big, you know. So. Well, that that's, you just said it right there. Um, you know, you mentioned to me in the last podcast, what do you think the college court means to Glenbard West, advantage, disadvantage? And I said in the half court. It's going to be a disadvantage, uh, because of it's going to be just spread out. It's larger. It's bigger. And then what we didn't take into account is those large, those tall guards uh, are able to see over the one, three, one. Uh, they're able to navigate a lot easier. And as you're to your point just there, there just aren't those types of guards on top tier teams that they'll face the rest of the way. Uh, so that vaunted one, three, one becomes a little, little bit more vaunted again <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah. you know going forward yeah exactly. even against like Simeon's guards are small um yeah so, so that's a it's a totally different game I mean it was kind of interesting watching you know Pierce and Huff you know they were having troubles getting past those guys and that's just not something we see but yeah I mean we keep hitting on it but they, they managed to find a way and boy you're right that third quarter moment when they were on their ropes to me that was the one I think I mm-hmm. tweeted you know this could get ugly it was like a nine or ten point game and it it seemed like it was going to get worse. And, yeah, I got to 12 and I I you know, it could have gone 12 to 18 very easily and to their credit <laughs> they didn't let it happen. I, I still though, I'm still not sure. I'm still a toss up though with them versus Simeon. Um I I definitely believe more in them, but I, I've seen Simeon's height and I think not their peak. And I think way too few people were at that Simeon Kenwood game or were able to watch that game because it was the, it's still the best game I've seen this, the highest level game I've seen this season. It was sorry, it was better than Sierra Canyon Glenbard West. I mean, the some of the moves in that game were incredible. Um, and I, I just don't think enough people are appreciating that that Simeon high. But we'll, we're going to get to find out. Uh, <laughs> so that'll be super fun, huh? Um, I guess we might as well address that, Joe. Um, it's what the eighteenth. Um, yeah, February eighteenth, Proviso West. Um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I was talking to Coach Apoka, and he was talking about playing Simeon and or playing somebody one more game. And I said, "How about Simeon?" <laughs> he said, well, "I'll play them." And so I called Robert Smith. <laughs> How about playing Glenbard West? And from there, it kind of took off and hooked those guys up together, and uh, you know, figured out a neutral site and it came to fruition. So that'll be, you know, if you look at it right now, Mike, you're, you've got your, there's no question. Glenbard West is the best four, a team in Illinois right now. And Simeon is the best three, a team in Illinois right now. And they will not play in March. Mm-hmm. So this is a great thing for high school basketball, you know, particularly those people who hate four classes. 
got the class 4A number one against the class 3A number one on the final day of the regular season. Yep. You, you, I mean, you can't beat, you can't ask for anything more. <laughs> 24 hours before the regional starts. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. All right. Next question is from James. Who are your favorites in class 2A and how far do you think perspectives leadership will go in state? <clears throat> Uh, we talked a little bit about the uh, AP rankings. Um, for those who just want a quick run-through, because I know keeping these classes in your head can drive you insane, um, especially the ones in between. But So for the listeners and everybody, the, the top 2A teams um, in our area are Leo, Clark, DePaul Prep, Perspectives Leadership, or North Lawndale, Longwood, Dunbar, Diet. Then you've got a, some good teams like Northridge Prep and U-High. Northridge Prep put the fear of you-know-who into somebody at one point this year, and they're like 19-7 and seven or something, so don't overlook them. And they're, and if you read Joe's uh, series over the uh, offseason, you, you know that that's not a program to mess with. But then there's also a nice group um, from outside of the Chicago area. El Paso Gridley I look, is 23-2. and two. Rockford Lutheran is 20-6. and six. Breeze Central is 22-4. and four. Nashville, who's probably familiar, they were at state a few years ago, is 19 and four, um, and then some others around. But so that's the core group that you're looking at, and I think clear favorite for us is is Leo. We've spoken about them a bunch, and we mentioned DePaul Prep on the other side. I know Joe, have you? Clark's been hot lately. I know you weren't a huge on Clark in the preseason. Um, I don't know if you've. Yeah, I, I I don't. Uh, I just saw so much of basically Clark plays AAU together all year. Uh, so I just saw a lot of them in the summer and it just, that's my, my reason. Um, I, I think what Leo did here too, this weekend, beating brother rice. And then you've got, I know I talked about DePaul and they, they took one the chin, uh, last week, but I just think these teams, you know, or Leo DePaul, they're, they're not playing two way schedules, you know? So, it is such a drop in class when you're playing 3A, 4A schools and good 3A, 4A schools, and then all of a sudden, poof, you're playing in, in class 2A regionals and sectionals. It's a huge advantage, and I, I like all three of their, those teams' chances. Yeah, I think, I mean, Leo has to be, based on the way they're playing and the results, the clear favorite. Um, and I mentioned last week, and I'll say it again, I mean, or won three in a row, and they would have won four in a row, I'm pretty sure. And they've done it with this same formula of nobody really knows what's going on. They pick up some losses. People don't really know. Everybody gets eligible, you know, at the end. Then it's like, oh, my gosh, who are these guys? They're whooping everybody. I feel like we're really trending towards that again um, quite a bit. We'll see how that goes. We'll know a little bit more in the city tournament in the next couple of days. But I think they're definitely one to keep an eye on that hasn't gotten the attention. I'm like, they're not even in my rankings right now. You know, they just don't have the wins to be in my rankings. And I'm talking about them as maybe a two-way favorite, but I think they have to be. Um, oh, perspective leadership. James, perspective leadership <laughs> is the team that's bothering me the most in my life because I have not seen them this season, and it's driving me nuts. I almost went over to the perspectives played each other on saturday afternoon at 2 30 just to get a look at them you know but before the you know the big thing at Wintrust, but i wasn't able to make it over there they're 24 and 5 they've got some great scores you know they, they're they the real deal they to me they seem to be but i i'm just ignorant at this point i'm really going to make a point in the next two weeks of getting out to see them all right 
question next one is from uh oh fabian this is this will be a quick one he I kind of like this one because usually it's people attacking me, but we got some some Joe, a question for Joe here. Uh, Fabian says, I've been to a couple of Leo games and they have a good team. Just wondering why Joe hasn't showed them any type of respect. I, I it, That's for not writing about them, I guess. I, I It must because on the podcast you've talked about. I, I've talked about Leo. Yeah. I, I, I've, yeah, I, I, so yeah, I definitely don't have a, I'm actually a fan of Leo. Uh, I kind of, kind of, I pull for Leo. I like their, their makeup. I like the, the the vibe they have and and that that team. And um, so I, I I really like that team. And uh, I've I've got nothing against them. <laughs> I think they're pushing the disrespect angle pretty hard. I remember like the Mount Carmel thing when I went back into the locker room to talk to them. I was getting a lot of. Uh, I mean, I get. I, I guess finally, I. Yeah. I guess I did. I mean, in my weekend forecast i didn't pick them to win so oh they brought the race game so maybe that is the result of the question maybe i don't know but no i've i've got i like that team that's always the best when somebody criticizes you for something that you know it's one thing like if i'm getting hammered because i don't believe in the glenbard west is gonna trounce simeon or something but it's like weird when you're like well wait what are you talking about <laughs> i actually like that team. yeah yeah <laughs> i mean well and you, you put yourself out there when you make picks i do make the picks i just it's for fun i mean but when you're picking a team to win 55 52 <laughs> you have to pick it against two good teams it's not a disrespect to the other team for losing you know what i mean it's yeah you got to pick somebody. You know, uh, uh, and the Brother Rice point, there's not a question about them, so I'm going to hit on this briefly. Um, they lost to Leo 56-50. Uh, to 50. It was at Leo. You know, that's a tough place to play. And it was Brother Rice's first loss this year. You know, the last one was to Wheaton-Warrenville South, which we know how, the, how that's a tough one by two points. And the only other loss they have all year was the, what, fourth day of the season against Curie by three. So they've been riding high. However, then this is interesting. This was interesting to me when I looked. You know, they've been ranked high. Joe and I have a lot of good things to say about them. They don't have any wins when you look at it. And, you know, they just won so many games in a row. But, I mean, their biggest wins at this point, and, you know, we're, the season's almost over. Their big wins are Oak Park, Marion Catholic, Joliet West, and St. Ignatius. That's those are no ranked teams. So I'm not trying to hear the hammer brother rice, but maybe, you know, everybody kinda got a lot of attention because they weren't losing. But when you actually sit down and look at Brother Rice's schedule, they might have been overranked for a while just due to the, the long winning streak. You know, you gotta remember they're still a young team coming together they're not gonna lose anybody for next year. But that kinda opened my eyes when I was doing the rankings uh this week and they did tumble quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, they played, they played Curie tough. They lost by three, you know, when they played Oak Park, Oak Park was, was probably ranked at the time when they played them. I mean, Marion has been a, a fringe top 25 team. So that's a nice win. I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, they lost to Wheaton South by, I mean, they're five points away from being perfect on the year. Um, Oak Park prior, was overtime too. Pri- yeah. Prior to this weekend. Uh, and the HF deal, I mean, not that it matters too much, but you know, that sectional, basically now HF is in, I'm putting out some seeds, uh, as I do every year and HF all of a sudden 
you look at this really tough sectional they're in, they're going to be the number two seed because of that Brother Rice win. Uh, so, you know, HF's been a team I have not been able to figure out. I think I even wrote that in my <laughs> yeah, weekend forecast that oh. every time I pick HF to win, they lose. Every time I pick them to lose, they win. I, I think literally every single time, except for the last time when I said that was going to happen. But, yeah, it's a hard team to figure out. Yeah, HF's, I, I've given up. Even the scores don't make any sense. It, it's not like they, like, lose a close one. <laughs> when they lose, they, like, get whooped by 16 to Thornton or something. And then, when they, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense um, at all. I think the guards are just, you don't know what you're going to get daily. Because you know Meeks is pretty um, consistent. Anyway, um, I think we might have, do we have an HF question? Yeah, we do later, so we'll save that. But, um, okay, this is the long question. But I think it's interesting. Um, it's something we've discussed a lot, so bear with us here. Um, prior to the multiplier, the IHS, IHSA used a thing called football enrollment to determine its football playoff classifications. While I don't remember all the details, the overall gist is that the average enrollment of the teams on your schedule determined your playoff class. So a small school like Rockford Alleman, which played in a conference with much larger public schools like Moline and Rock Island, would be bumped up a class or so in the playoffs. The concept was simple. Regardless of enrollment, if you felt like you could compete against larger schools, then you'd be willing to join a conference with larger schools like Alleman did, and as a result, compete against larger schools in the postseason. If you only wanted to play like-sized schools, you'd find a conference with that fit. That brings us to Yorkville Christian in 2022. Yorkville Christian has scheduled this season like they are a perennial 3A, 4A power and undoubtedly had significant success along the way. They clearly don't identify as a typical 1A school, so I wonder if they should compete in 1A. With all that background, I pose two questions for you and Joe. Question one, should the IHSA look to use a football enrollment type concept to determine a postseason class in all IHSA basketball? Question two, if they did that, should it be applicable to private schools only or to school or to all schools, keeping in mind that many shrinking CPS powers play much larger schools during the year? A program like OR comes to mind. I, this is I'll start. This is something I, I mean, I think everybody on here, if you listen regularly, I've been pushing the conference thing that and this is basically the same idea, just kind of with the full schedule instead of just the conference thing. I think it makes a lot of sense in football and basketball, frankly, um, for the world you, the world you play in to be your world in the postseason. I, I don't understand why the world you spend your whole season in, then all of a sudden changes in the playoffs. I think this is a great idea. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I mean, you want, so you want your full Christian higher than one. I, well, what's funny is they aren't in a conference, <laughs> so my conference thing wouldn't work at all with them. <laughs> they would have beaten that. <laughs> but um, for this idea, right, it, it would because you would take their schedule. Um, I think the schedule. So you gets, want Leo? Not you don't want you don't want Leo in two A. No, yeah, I, I don't. I think it just doesn't make sense for you to spend the whole season in one world and the other. I mean, the fact that Morgan Park and Simeon were winning state titles in different classes while being in the same conference to me was just ridiculous. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It drives me nuts. So, so you don't want any classes. No, no. I, I think, I just think they're for a schools. schedules. There's one schedule strength. 
Yeah, I, I want you to be. Leo, Leo could have 190 students, but you want them in 4A. They could have eight students. Yeah, and all on the basketball team. And if they're going to be in the Chicago Catholic League and play those big schools, then yeah. They have to be in the same postseason as them. I don't think it's fair to the small schools that play small school schedules. And Leo's a private school. They get kids from all over Chicago. I mean, their enrollment essentially doesn't matter. Well, the private school is a different issue than, I mean, that's a different argument than just because you play a tougher schedule, you should be, so you're penalizing because you play a tougher schedule. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me, but. So you just give it the way it is. Yeah. They, I mean, they play a tough schedule and I mean, it's not like Leo is in this, it's not like they're winning 25 games every year and dominating. And I I, I mean, it's not like they're crushing it in in March or in the Catholic League. Yeah, but I mean, Orr is, and I'm sure most of the state is pretty depressed by the fact that Orr just wins 2A every year and. Yeah, but I, I, I just, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make sense to me with why, why even have classes then. You're just gonna have these conferences are one class and these conferences are a different class, so it's basically by conference. I mean, that would that's my idea. This says it's based on your schedule, so you'd be able to choose. But I mean, it's real simple. The Catholic League would just have to redo itself and could very easily create a small school conference and keep Leo. They have several small schools, um, you know, Providence, St. Mel, DeSalle. I mean, they could totally have a small school conference. Um, so could the public league, frankly. Um, you know, if you get Marshall and Orr and some, a lot of the shrinking ones together, that would be a quick response to my conference idea um, that, that they could figure that out. So maybe this that's why the schedule idea has more merit. Um I I don't know, but So yeah. your so what about the team that plays in a small conference that just goes out and schedules like crazy? They're they're okay to stay in their small class. In whose thing? I mean in the schedule thing you you wouldn't be well, like you're full Christian, they're not in a conference, but yeah. so what? What you, you, do they get bumped up because they played all know. three and four A schools? In, in this, in this, in the question asker scenario, yes. I don't know what to do because I didn't consider schools not in conferences in my conference thing. I have no idea, but but yeah, I think it's pretty silly that we could wind up with the Red Northwest winning three state championships. Well, we'll see if it happens. The mighty. Do they have a three A? The mighty public league that has not been so mighty. Yeah, I don't think they have a good three A, do they? No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, they have Sim. I'm the Red Northwest uh, is what I'm. Yeah, clearly Simeon. So, so they have a good chance. Yeah, so could the Red South win? They don't have a. uh, So would it be Longwood, Simeon, and Kenwood? Yeah. So they could do it. We should have figured it was the best conference <laughs> that could do that. Uh, oh, next up, uh, question five. I'm sorry, it's it's Alex. He says, what does Orr need to do to make a run and win state? Also, what do you think about the sophomore from Lane, Solebo? 
Um, we, we talked about, I think Orr just needs to figure it out. Um, they have a lot of pieces. They got a lot of size. Most of those two-way schools don't have much size, which is what we see a lot. And Orr doesn't have the size they have had other years. Um, but they do have size, so that, that'll help. I just, I feel like they've left it pretty late this year. That would be my worry that. What does the last year of Lou Adams, um, mean? I mean, how big of a factor would that be? That's what I was trying. That's a good question. Because I was, last time I talked to Ori, I brought that up several times to people, to, to Lou <laughs> and to the players. And they didn't seem like super worked up about it, to be honest. It wasn't like a. Well, I can't see Lou thing. being a guy that pumps it up and, yeah, he, <laughs> and, and he, talks much about it. Yeah, he wasn't. It was just kind of, okay, and the players yeah. were like, yeah, that'd be nice to win it for him. But it wasn't like, yeah, it did not seem like a driving fact. Maybe he's saving it. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> for the players. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, yeah. you know, this goes back to the. Those teams just don't have to win a whole. B- I mean, I, I mean, they're gonna have to beat Clark, and they're gonna have to beat DePaul, I guess, to win a sectional. So I guess that's, you know, that's that's. And they have size. It's not. Yeah. It's not easy. Um, I don't know, I, but I, I I think then that super sectional is a. I think it's. I have to pull it up. I, I don't think they play anybody in the super sectional. Well, they play someone physically. Will be there, but <laughs> most of the uh, top contenders. Yeah, I guess I should. Have I, I don't. I don't think there's a single team that would touch them. I'm missing some. Oh no, no, no! I'm missing somebody. Leo's in the other one. Yeah, forget it. So that would yeah, be the so, super, and that's at. So so or could technically have to play Clark, all of them. Yeah, DePaul, and Leo in succession, which that would be hard. That'd be difficult. Um, so Labo, I, I raved about him to Joe at, um, when I was sitting at yeah. watching him. Yeah. We, we talked about him on that, I think on a podcast, I believe, right? Or no? I don't think so. No. Oh, uh, and I got that tape of that game and, um, impressive. Yeah. He's, he's one to watch and certainly is jettisoned his way up the, the, the rankings in the class. Boy, is that, and I think, yeah, that's, not, that's probably a good point to make. Man, any sophomore right now that's making noise, <laughs> I think we need to kind of turn our heads around a little bit because it was funny, uh, Nick Legalbo pointed out to me, I mean, he, last year he played seven games. He was on varsity and he's like, that's all he had. So these sophomores are basically at the end of their freshman year, a, a lot of them. You know, and to be making an impact in high level varsity stuff, we're just not, there's a reason we're not seeing a lot of them. And it's because of the last two years, what things have been like. So any of them that have managed to kind of make their way through this, I think that's really impressive. Um, and something we should keep an eye on. And, and a reason we shouldn't get too down on the class. I don't know if anybody is too down on the class. I, I hope that's a reason because yeah. I'm a little, I am a little You're down. down. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you have to be. You're right. Cause. I, yeah, they're not I'm there. Trying, I'm trying yes. to even find them to go see. Yeah, and you run out of the list pretty quick. They're not on rosters. Yeah, and the and the ones I go to, um, I'm like, yeah, it, it is. It's um, that's a whole other story again. But yeah, no, it's true. Like every game, you know, when I go to see a new team, you see because usually there'll be that guy who is on the varsity. He'll play, you know, maybe a quarter. He's a sophomore, but. And that's a, like every game. Well, that doesn't exist. <laughs> I, I, I would say, and there's absolutely no way to quantify or to research this, 
This has been the fewest amount in a full season, last year not counting, the least amount of impact from sophomores. And I mean, everybody's going to be like, well, what about the, yeah, I know the St. Rita guys and, uh, and Lamont. Yes, there's a handful of teams that, but I'm just saying they're used to, I mean, typically there are a bundle of sophomores that are putting up numbers or mm-hmm. turning heads and, Oh, I gotta get out and see him. I haven't seen him yet. And it has just not materialized or been that way at all this year. Yeah. No, you're, uh, you're totally right, Joe. Yeah. It's, it's not even a question. It's definitely the least. And to my, my point is, I guess it would be like never before. Like I've been doing oh. this for 25 plus years and this is the least amount of, and I'm not saying they're all terrible. I'm just saying it's been a, a slow, slow rise of, of the sophomore class. Yeah. I mean, they're literally not on the rosters. It's crazy. Uh, they're just, and it makes, well, it's not crazy. It makes sense why, but yeah, hopefully they're out there and it's just, I mean, they didn't have school last year, you know, or, or what do you call it? A normal seat. It was just a mess. And publicly they did, literally didn't have school. Um, but that, that could be an issue because a lot of them have dropped, might've dropped out by now. And so it's anyway, it could be bad in the city, but hopefully the suburbs, uh, sophomore classes are, are, are burgeoning. Uh, <laughs> let's see um logan uh, logan says i'm a student reporter from the glenbird west newspaper and I have some questions about the game for you to answer in the pod um how would you explain the energy that glenbird west students had throughout the night well logan i was right in front of them for <laughs> the entire five hours basically because they got there when i did which was pretty impressive actually um, cause it was an hour before the first game. <laughs> so it was five hours. I'm not exaggerating. Um, the energy of them was fine until, um, Brownie James and Amari Bailey took the court and then it got pretty wicked <laughs> to say the least. Uh, there were some not ideal things, um, said to Brownie James that brought the Chicago police over and the Chicago police spent the rest of the game kind of standing there. Not, they were, very unconcerned <laughs> in general about this group of Glen Ellen teens, but they did stand there and the, um, the bad chance. I mean, they weren't horrible chance, but it wasn't ideal. It was getting a little rough on Bronnie James and Amari Bailey. And so that, um, kind of tempered it down a bit. Uh, I did write about the Drake's your daddy chant that kept going. The police didn't care about that, um, at all, but it, it was a good energy in it, it. There's no doubt it impacted the game. Because literally, after, as soon as the game ended, Brownie James and Amari Bailey walked over to them, to them, and they, you know, I couldn't see exactly everything they were doing. They were letting them know that they had won, and it wasn't, like, mean. There was no flicking them off or yelling or, you know, they handled it pretty good, probably because they'd won. And then Amari Bailey came over to me and said very nice things about how fun it was to get to play with them, yelling at them, and all that kind of stuff. So it was a neat little thing. Yeah, it's more fun for players to play in that. I mean, if it wasn't high school, if it was, you know, it's just still a high school game. So they, they, I, you know, the Glenbard West fandom though is in a story of itself. And you wrote a little bit about it, but I was thinking about all of other past suburban powerhouses over the years. And, you know, all these high profile events that have filled up arenas, not high school gyms, but arenas over the last, I don't know, 20, 25 years, 
they they haven't been filled up by one school. Um, you know, Glenbrook North had their fans, but it wasn't like this uh, when Shire was playing. That was a more of a high school basketball icon that everybody wanted to go see. Um, you know, when John Shires and Greg Oden met, that sold out Welsh Ryan. Go through the list of different. It, it generated high school basketball fans in those arenas. Where this year, thank goodness for the Glenbard West fans because, I, you know, they have filled up gyms and arenas uh, this season that I don't know if they would have been filled if it was just a normal everyday regular suburban powerhouse without that type of fandom. Um, so I just give them a lot of credit for rejuvenating the scene that we're seeing at these high school basketball big-time events that we're seeing, which I'm sure will be the same when Simeon plays Glenbard West at, at Proviso West in a couple of weeks. Yeah, no doubt about that. They've definitely filled places that wouldn't have been. Um, Logan's uh, second part of his question, have you ever seen a student section with more energy than we had? Yes, Logan, definitely. Um <laughs> I think that while the Glenbird West fan students might come out in force, they are kind of ineffective. Um, I would recommend going to a Brother Rice game just as a, to study. <laughs> Niles, Notre Dame. Yeah, or Notre Dame, or St. Pat. Go, yep. you guys need, you got a long way to come. I know Jason Apoka doesn't want to hear it, but you stand there like you're a football school, <laughs> basically. And it was funny, um, I, everyone knows I went to Joliet West and we were, we were the Glenbird West equivalent. Uh, when I was a uh, senior and our football coach, Mike O'Connell got picked a, a committee of five kids to be in charge of the student section. He wanted to make sure that he had, he wanted us to get the best, loudest kids down in front. He knew he needed some leadership. And then he got everybody together and he told us what to do at various points in the game. Like when there were free throws, blah, blah, blah. He, he literally coached us on what a student section could be um, because we weren't, effective and i would suggest that maybe glenbard west look into the same thing if they care because yeah you guys are there but you're not really even close to top tier um with energy and all the things that should be done during the game michael Brown, <laughs> sorry throwing down the student sections well am, am i wrong the, the, the next ranking no i i i i mean i don't i don't know about the tiers that we i mean i <laughs> Oh, there's tiers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that top tier is definitely the ones we mentioned, and those are – but I will say they've had a lot of practice. They've had maybe not leaders leading them and coaching them, but, they, <laughs> yeah. but they've, had, uh, they've had years as, like, freshmen and sophomores to see what the what was happening. Glenbard West has never had this. <laughs> no, it, it, so it, they, they're, they're in a – like a – they've been on an island forever and just – Poof, all of a sudden, now we've got our chance to cheer and be rowdy. And it takes some time to get comfortable and familiar with, with their uh, creativity and chants and cheers. But, yeah, no, I mean, but, hey, you got three, four weeks before champagne. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Go to a Brother Rice game. You guys will see. Just, I mean, take notes. Take some, do a TikTok, whatever. <laughs> take some film. Come back and say, look at this. Here's what we gotta do. All right. Yes, this I learned this from the Crusader crazies. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, it's, um, but they're not alone. Uh, this is a problem. I, mean, I was at a Manuka 
on Tuesday, and they they brought a really nice student section in the middle of a blizzard during a Tuesday night game, and then they all stood there silently <laughs> for an hour oh, and a half. I, you know, I Mrs. Hoops report is a very very she is into the student sections when she goes to games with me, and she critiques and criticizes. She might be the one to do the rankings. Oh, nice, very good. Because yeah. she will comment, "Look at how lame they are." There's like <laughs> 400 kids, and none of them are saying anything. They just stand there. Yeah. That that happens a lot places. It does. A hundred percent. And Glenbird West is way above no. that. They're not in that tier. Exactly. No. Yeah. So no. I, are... I think they're in the second tier. I'm going to give them right there second tier. And uh, the final question from Logan. What could Glenbird have done to come away with a win? Um, Make free throws. Yeah. That's a bit – which, I mean – yeah, obviously make free throws. I mean, I think they were just t- – well, I mean, they, they they didn't – Mike, they didn't turn the ball over. Oh, gosh, they did not. Yeah, it was they, single digits. They, yeah. they didn't they, – they, 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 it wasn't like they shot poorly. They shot good enough. You know, they, I think they had mm-hmm. 11 threes or um, – so, I mean, I, you know, I, I think – I think Braden Huff could have uh, maybe been a little bigger of a factor around the rim, um, you know, I, or particularly be a little less. He's so unselfish, and he played good. He's so so unselfish um, I, to the point where I was like, there's a couple of moments where I'm like, okay, right here, boom, and you know, uh, he made that extra pass, but. But yeah, it can, it can, I mean, you make those free throws and I, and I don't want to pick on one particular because there's more than one free throw missed. But you think about it, Mike, the end of that game, Paxton Warden makes that, both those free throws. They go up one. Follow me. They got to go full court. They got two fouls to give. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's going to be really tough for them to, to, to score when you got two fouls to give. Sorry, I was trying to get my stat sheet, which I should have had out, because I was shocked by the, um, Glenbird West, that was a great point, had six turnovers in the game. That is it. And they were under pressure, heavy pressure. Um, I remember numerous times with Pierce and Huff both trapped in the corner with just long dudes all over them. Six mm-hmm. turnovers. I mean, that's, I mean, Sierra Canyon had 11. Um, so that was, that was amazing. And I was checking out your Huff thing, uh, or the Huff, um, he missed five shots, missed three threes, but you're totally right about um, in the paint. I feel like that didn't go well early because of the length that Sierra Canyon has. And instead of maybe trying to get those guys into foul trouble and instead of maybe trying to battle through it, they just said it was closed down there. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I mean, we really are nitpicking over a one-point loss, I know, <laughs> yeah. to a national powerhouse. Three-point loss, one shot, or, but yes. Oh, yeah, yeah three-point loss, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, but that's why the questions are being asked. You know, it's that close. So what could have been the difference? Yeah, that was um, – and I thought they got some good bench minutes. And a couple – one kid played that I don't think I'd seen play in a big game all year. Um, and those guys did not go out there and, like, die. You know, they managed <laughs> to give them breathers. They were quick. Yeah, know. and that's what you know. He did a good job, Jason Apoka, yeah. just just buying a just a just a little smidge of some time um, from those bench guys. And I think that I think that saved them in a lot of ways. I think that's what that, why they didn't every time yeah, we they thought they might go down. Yeah, and they played in the first half too, in those mm-hmm. minutes. You know, and it wasn't like until 
It wasn't after they were completely out of gas. Uh, and then, okay, <laughs> throw them in. It was just to preserve and preserve a little bit throughout the game. Um, this goes right into the next question. John says, uh, was the spotlight too big for the coaching staff of Glenbard West? Why did they not think to foul on that last possession? They, the plan was to foul and they did, you know, they, they took the one foul and then the plan was to foul again. Cause I asked, actually asked that question when I was talking to coach Apoka and there, uh, Caden Pierce was screened. He was going to try to foul, was screened, got by him. And then warden basically was next in line. Um, and he had four fouls, so he did not foul. I personally agree. I think you have to all, you have to figure out, find a way to foul there. Um, I, 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 and a lot of that stuff is read and react for players, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. But my thing was they threw that, after that first foul, they threw the pass so far into the backcourt that you could have really taken advantage there and made that foul then it's eight seconds. You could have fouled them behind the half court line and gotten it to six seconds and made them take a ball out of bounds again, um, past half court. So yeah, I, I, I their reasoning, they didn't have a reason that they, they, they gave the reasons why it didn't happen. Um, you just, you live and learn. And I just think you have to figure out a way you have to find a way to, to get that foul. Um, because it's 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 just how you do it. That's what you have to do right there. Yeah, that um, your point about in the it was the pass was so far back and that a hundred percent that was interesting that that didn't happen the foul there. I thought though when Bailey drove, he was in a lot of traffic and they did mm-hmm. not. I think you could have called a foul. You know, I've not looked at it in slow motion and I was right. on the other side of the court, but they didn't let Bailey get to the basket and they hit him. You know, there could have been a foul. They didn't, like, take him down and commit a foul, for sure. But it wasn't like they gave him a path to the basket or something. That's why he kicked it out. He was going to score, you know. And I'm forecasting here, but, and Glenbar West, people will be mad I say this. I don't think they, and again, you still got to get to overtime. I don't think they win in overtime. Yeah, and Bailey hits his free throws probably. I I think they have that momentum Right there, that was their moment to take that win, take that game. Was that because it kind of felt like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden they got a chance to win. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's exactly how it felt. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh my gosh, we're down to the final minute and they got the ball and we're down one. Yeah, Huff and, scored you know, those five points and then. It, and uh, yeah. I'm thinking, hey, my one point Glenbard West yeah. pick was going to look great. Uh, and, and I think once that would have gone away and they would have, if they had to have gone to overtime and they didn't get a, you know, I, I, I just, I guess I'm just saying I don't like their chances in overtime, but you still have to get there to get, extend the game. Yeah. And I do remember the Bailey pass. It was not something where, you know, he goes down the lane and whips it over in the corner. No, no, no. He went down the lane, got it, was in big trouble and then had to like bend around, you know, and get the pass over, um, to the corner. And so if you're going to lose on that. I mean, oh yeah, corner three at the buzzer. I mean, yeah, it was. Come on, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the other factor, another. This is another. Yeah. We could go on and on about this game, but how much does the loss help? Oh, I think a ton. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna lose, oh, it's great. Yeah, you 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 showed up and and looked stellar against a national power 
in a high stakes game and you look looked the part and now you get this loss out of the way, you kind of get back to reality a little bit and you're not worried about the undefeated season and uh I mean I think the for, I don't know if any teams ever come out of a loss looking prettier. Oh no, exactly. It almost it's like the loss proved they were good. If they'd have beat, not good, you know what I mean, but an elite national team. If they'd have won, I think a lot of people would have thought, oh, Sierra Canyon wasn't that good anyway. They lost last weekend on Saturday, blah, blah, blah. That's the best I've ever seen Sierra Canyon play, by the way. Um, and my three times, or the two and a half games, you're, I agree with you. Uh, it's way, I mean, I thought they were incredibly better than I'd seen them before. And the LA point of view, by the way, I follow um the LA Times preps guy on Twitter, so I get stuff. LA is referring to it as Sierra Canyon's biggest and best win of the season. Hmm. Um, and you know, they've played all those national, they haven't beaten a lot of really good national teams. Um, yeah, I, I just thought they competed. They played hard. They played pretty disciplined. They, I, I, I loved how they played. Yeah. I thought so, they were great. Yeah. I thought yeah. Sierra Canyon was excellent. Um, so yeah, to lo- anyway, um, let's see. <laughs> Probably more on that game still to come, but anyway, um, the next question. Oh, um, how come HF is ranked so high? They've lost seven games by a combined 90 points. That's a little outrageous. You can't lose by 30 and be called good. Uh, John, have you not been paying attention this season? Who, who is the HF hater? Yeah, New Trier's lost by, got whooped and they're good. Um, several teams have been whooped and they're good. It's just this season. Sometimes it goes, HF, man, what are we supposed to do? I gotta rank them. They've beaten a bunch of ranked teams. They've also lost to a bunch, but. In this season, look at Yorkville Christian, look at Bolingbrook, look at a lot of others. I mean, if you've beaten a lot of ranked teams, you're going to be in the rankings even if you've lost to a lot. Because there aren't – the other people not in the rankings, the problem is they haven't beaten any ranked teams or a lot of ranked teams. Uh, oh, by the way, did everybody see the Glenbrook North Taft score? Sorry. No, what? what? Uh, Glenbrook North, North beat Taft by like four <laughs> this weekend. Uh-huh. Sorry, after last week and all the hate I've been getting, I've received no more communications from Glenbrook North fans. Yeah, I mean, I mean, HF handed Oswego East its only loss. They beat yes. St. Rita. They've, um, they've beaten Brother Rice. They've beaten Bloom. Uh, yeah, they've had some, and they, and their losses are, you know, they had a stretch. That's what we talked about earlier. They've been so up and down. Um, they win that Christmas tournament and then poof, drop three in a row. Uh, DePaul, Thornton, and Bolingbrook. They don't have three, a bad loss, though. No. I mean, um, Hyde Park, Marion Catholic, uh, DePaul, Thornton, Bolingbrook, those are five teams that I – has Hyde Park been ranked at all this year? Hyde Park? I mean, Marion Catholic, I mean. Oh, yeah, briefly, yeah, but they have. So, so I mean, that's five teams that have all yeah. been ranked at some point this year. Hillcrest and Bolingbrook. I mean, this is, that's not, yeah, you lost to good teams, you beat good teams, you're ranked. Anyway, um, next is, uh, oh, uh, DeMario. DeMario says, what's the overall analysis on star players leaving the area? It seems like as soon as a player gets some publicity nationally, he leaves Chicago. Yeah, I'm tired of this one. Yeah, it's, no, no, DeMario. no offense. I yeah. mean, I, I just, yeah, we've talked about it a lot. We, we obviously don't like. It. I, I'm. I love. I thought Omar ba- Amari Bailey was so much fun to watch. I, the whole day oh, I was sitting there thinking, God, imagine we had four years. Four years, there. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It was well, depressing. I mean, it, it, I mean, <laughs> it, it's the same thing with. I mean, he, imagine him right now as a senior. And I mean, I mean, that's like a repeated like, just on a record player. We just keep saying it. And then my top three prospects in the junior class are all gone. 
J.J. Taylor, Jeremy Fears, Matas Bazillas. I mean, you put those three guys in that class with Dede Ames and Christie and Asa Thomas and Owen Freeman. I mean, all of a sudden now you're talking about a, you know, a decent class, but to the uh, questioner's point, uh, they, they, they bolted and it's, it's, it sucks. It does. It I think really part of the, yeah, part of the problem, Demario, is we haven't had seasons, and it, that's not great. Like if JJ Taylor had been playing with those kids and had just lost in a super sectional and wanted to win a state tournament for his, you know, community and team, maybe he would have stayed. You know, See, like, I, I, you say that, Mike, and I'm not saying JJ Taylor feels this way. I just don't know if that's the dr- driving force anymore. I, you know what I mean? As much as I think it would be. It is just such a different mindset of what's important in today's high school basketball world. I hear it from coaches. I see it. I, it's just. I know uh, that, it is with Jeremy Fears. He he and his family think about that all the time. But I think that's more normal than we think. We're like, you know, Max Christie didn't win anything because he didn't play as a senior. I mean, but I mean, that was a great story that he wanted to play at Rolling Meadows. I mean, Rolling Meadows was, I mean, that kid could have gone anywhere. Um, you know, Jalen Brunson and Rick Brunson, his dad, staying put and picking Stevenson and, and you know, taking, you know, Stevenson's always a nice program, but I, th- those are, did it, did it hurt Jalen Brunson's career? No. Staying put? Uh, uh, yeah, obviously not. No, no, but I think it is a factor. <laughs> I think, but it hasn't been a factor here because we haven't had any playoffs. And we haven't had a chance to build it. I mean, Jeremy Fears Sr. has told me numerous times how much, how badly they would love to win a state championship and bring it to Joliet. But there's the other things they're worried about and this and that. And it's, you know, they would never left if there wasn't the COVID season. I mean, so I I think that's been a, obviously we're going to lose kids anyway. Everybody does. It happens. We we lost a lot of kids before COVID came. Yes, but there's no doubt it's not helping. Um, in any way, uh, that that's for sure. But we'll, we'll see how it goes um, coming up. And we've had a lot of coaches leave, older coach. Uh, yeah, I think that's an issue too. So we'll see how it goes. But yeah, it stinks. Um, and man, Amari Bailey can give a quote too. Oh, he would have been fun. <laughs> it was. Oh, I mean, he, he's he would have been one of those star attractions that we had grown accustomed to having for that stretch. I mean, we had that remarkable stretch from Jabari and Jaleel and Cliff and Jalen Brunson and Tyler Eels. Those were all stacked on top of each other, and I'm not even getting into the next wave. Yeah. I mean, that's remarkable. We haven't had that for – but Armari Bailey is one of those guys. So we we lost him. Question, next question from Ray. Have you ever seen a better brother duo than Dominic Martinelli and, and Nick Martinelli from Glenbrook South? Monster scoring numbers and wins in the last five years. Ray, you're leaving a brother out. <laughs> Jimmy. It was Jimmy, right? Jimmy Martinelli? He was the first yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was um, into Jimmy as a sophomore. He didn't turn out to be quite <laughs> as great, I remember, as the other two. But, uh yeah, heck of a duo. Yeah, I mean, the Christies are probably, they're going to be, well, they're definitely more highly recruited highly ranked and their numbers are out of the they're not as good 
Oh, Mac, I mean, you, Max Christie would have played a whole year last year. Nah. I mean, his numbers. The rebounds been... for Dom and Nick dominate. They're double-double machines. The Christie brothers wouldn't be able to hit that. I'm just saying, you go career numbers, you're, you're, you're no way. I mean, Max Christie's averaging 18 a game as a freshman. So, um, yeah, Max Christie, Cam Christie, um, Bruce and Dennis Douglas, Quincy, early 80s. Uh, yeah, there's been, they're, they're right up there. What else? I thought there was another good one recently. My tiny brain is looking up. I thought there was the Bailey brothers at the Westinghouse. Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. That, that, that would be kind of my first, uh, thought, but I thought there was somebody uh, recently. Oh, well, um, yeah, it's not hitting me. Um, Next up is George. Sorry, I was reading this quick because it's more Glen West Sierra Canyon stuff. And uh, uh, after the game, you stayed on Twitter, the Mari Balin over to the Glen West student section, waved to them and came and told you some nice things about the team. I wasn't there, but I take that to mean that he was acknowledging their support. saying they, Yeah, everything he said was nice. Um, I think he was rubbing it. He's asking if he was, they were, yeah, they were rubbing it in a little bit. I mean, they were taking it hard from those Glen West kids. And they went over there and it was in good spirit. You know, it, frankly, it was in better spirit than the Glenbard West student section was towards them. So, I mean, if you want to talk about who was taking the high road in that uh, whole encounter, it was definitely the Sierra Canyon kids. Sorry, uh, I didn't hear them say anything nasty or act nasty. You know, they went over there and showboated a little bit and then came over. And Amari Bailey, he legitimately said how much he enjoyed playing in front of them, how it was great. They had that kind of support talked about how great, I mean, it's all in my story. He, he wasn't just, you know, BSing. he really enjoyed it. He thought it was great. He thought Glenbard West was an excellent team. And just like all of us at that event, Amari Bailey thought it was awesome. And it was a lot of fun and, and a great experience. Um, I don't think you can say anything negative about those Sierra Canyon kids. Um, all right. It's a lot of podcasts, Joe, and we haven't even done our takes yet. I guess we should. Uh... Are the questions over? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that, that was it. It didn't look like George really had a question. It was. It, I think he wanted to know if they were like rubbing it in. And um... yeah, uh, I'll, I'll do my first take. My first take is we're going away from uh, the Glenbard West Sierra Canyon. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, dare um, you? know, I, before that game, I went over and watched. Um, this is a sterling take. I can't remember what game I watched. Uh, Kenwood. Uh, Kenwood. I, I, so I was nervous. I saw those Kenwood scores. Uh, was it Longwood? They beat by three, was it? Morgan Park, double overtime. Yeah. And then lost to your for Christian. I was like, okay. Um, something's going on. And then I saw them play and absolutely dismantle. Hillcrest. Uh, they looked, I don't know if it's the UIC floor that they, they looked so good playing in the opener, uh, back in December with the, um, um, what's it called? Um, Chicago League Classic. They looked so good. And they looked the part again of a team that I'm back to thinking, okay, this is going to be Glenbard West. I'll get one Glenbard West mentioned. Their toughest challenge, if if it occurs, if, if Kenwood can make their way to Champaign, I mean that includes getting by, most likely Whitney Young, 
which will not be easy. They beat him once already at Proviso West. Whitney Young has Daniel Johnson back. He was working his way back. Uh, he's been hurt all year with a hamstring injury, so that will be a challenge. But with how Kenwood played and looked against, I mean, it, it was 29 to six or four or eight. I, I mean, they just came out and, and like I said, just ran, um, up and down. <laughs> like, I, it was, I was shocked at, at, at the, at the game and the score, final score, I believe. I think they won by 18, I think, or wasn't even that close. So I, I, I just am rejuvenated by a Kenwood team who I think I, I was nervous about because of what was kind of transpiring. I know Darren Ames was hurt and injured for a while, but you know, he was on the floor and, and, uh, in the Yorkville Christian loss. So I, I just think Kenwood is, is right back to where I thought they were two months ago or what I think they could be. Yeah. That's a great take. Yeah. I, I've seen, as you said, Kenwood was amazing to start the season. Um, I've already spoken about how great they were. They lost to Simeon in that game, but that was the best, most high level game I've seen all season. And when they are at their best, it is the showtime. Mike Irvin promised it is excellent. Their issue is the consistency. Can they bring that? You know, I think it's, we've seen this a lot with the publicly teams, especially, Having the do-or-die city playoffs can really get you on a roll. You know, maybe that'll help get them going. I think we'll learn a lot this week. We've got a lot. Yes. The Elite Eight, the Final Four, the thing. If this Kenwood team can become what it is. Because when, you know, Trey Pettigrew and Data Ames are playing at a high level, good luck. Yeah, and and they're, you know, Trey Pettigrew is a senior. And I'm not saying it was thrown together, but he is new to the scene with that team. It took them a while. Also... There's a bunch of juniors, a freshman. Darius so, Robinson's new. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's some youth involved. There, they, those juniors didn't really play, like you said earlier, uh, a sophomore season last year. So it, it was going to take some time. It wasn't going to be instant. And I think maybe that was partly the reason for this inconsistency or this midseason lull that they had. Uh, but, you know, Hillcrest is a very solid team. They're a very disciplined team. And for Kenwood, it just, I mean, it was a blowout from the moment the game started. And um, so, yeah, I, I just got a whole lot more faith in Kenwood. Now, they are they as talented as Sierra Canyon? No. Are they as polished and mature? No. Do they have as much size? No. Are, so, Kenwood, I mean, Sierra Canyon is clearly, clearly better than Kenwood, which is a Good news, I guess, for Glenwood West. <laughs> uh, so, but you gotta, you gotta examine and analyze the road that Glenbard West has and who they're going to have to beat to, to win a state title in the first in school history. And, um, I think Kenwood is the one team that I, I, you know, I, I kind of thought that all along, but it kind of affirmed that, that belief after watching them play Hillcrest. Fun stuff. My first take was going to be on Amari Bailey. I think we've said everything we need to say about him pretty much. Um, we, we covered that in a lot of things, but I was really impressed with him as a player and a person, and uh, he just would have been a lot of fun. And that's my take, so we can move on next. <laughs> yeah, and my, this one's a real quick one. I, 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 you know, as I have said in the past, I've always kind of want to highlight a team or a player that really I, we haven't. And there's a player that he was the talk of the offseason for the most part, in the senior class. 
in the recruiting circles, in the blossoming as a prospect. He had just a monster summer, and he, he's a top 15 prospect in the class. He's a Division One pr- player. He signed, and I don't think I've written about him one time, and I don't think we've talked about him on the podcast one single time. Maybe we have, and I forgot, but Ben Vanderwall from Timothy Christian. Mike, check these numbers out. All right. Uh, now, they're 13 and 15. It is a one-man show. Uh, they're third place in the Metro Suburban Blue. Here's his numbers. 26.6 points per game, just over 10 rebounds a game, 2.3 assists, 2.5 steals, 2.3 blocks per game. He's made 45 threes. He's shooting 81% from the line. And inside the arc, in addition to those 45 threes, inside the arc, he's converted on 67% from the field. Those are some massive numbers. Uh, and for a kid who found a great spot at Furman, it's the ideal level, ideal uh, spot for him in terms of style, system, everything about it is a great get for Furman. Uh, but Ben Vanderwall, probably the best player in this senior class that has not been talked about all season long. Yeah, they've done it. Thankfully, the uh, Timothy Christian folks have done a really nice job on Twitter of keeping everybody updated on his stats. And when I was doing the notebooks regularly, we were able to get him in there a lot. So I think a lot of people are hopefully aware, at least the Twitter basketball fans, of his big numbers. But there just hasn't been like the the showcase game or the, you know, they're, they're on my list. I know I want to go write a Ben Vanderwall story before the season gets out and time's ticking down, but I just haven't, you know, it hasn't worked out right. So he is definitely, um, just not been in the spotlight at all. It's been a real shame. Because uh, that's a cool cool place they've got over there now, too. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. God, there's so, this is it drives me nuts, Joe. I have so many kids I still need to see, write a story on. and It all just flipped away too quickly. <laughs> it's, uh, it's nearly done. Uh, my, my second take, last take. Um, I don't know why I feel the need to do this all the time. But, you know, obviously, Glenbard West, things are rolling. Things are great. They're the talk of the town. Every time we put up a story on the website, it goes nuts. Um, everybody's into it. But I, I just thought it was it'd be an interesting time to point out how quickly all of this ends and can go away, and history will forget you if you don't win state. And <laughs> no pressure, Hilltop. Yeah, Jason Apoka. You know, if you read Joe's story yesterday, if you read my stuff in the preseason, they know that. that they want to win state. They could care. They couldn't care less about going undefeated or beating Sierra Canyon or Simeon. The goal of all of it is to win state. Um, the, the kids say the same thing, you know, especially Braden Huff. They are aware of this, but I, I'm not sure. I think for the fans, basically, I'm speaking to the 17-year-old Michael O'Brien in Glen Ellen, who is enjoying this so much. Man, you gotta win the state, or they're gonna forget you. <laughs> they are gonna forget all of this so quickly. I think my best example is Waukegan from the Jeremy Richmond years. Uh, this is a team that made it to state twice. Do they play in two state finals? Uh, see, I've already forgotten. Um, they definitely played in the one state final. And... No, they lost in the semis one year. Okay, and they lost in the semis. Uh, the other year, but they were a complete and utter sensation. I would say definitely bigger um, in the local media. There was a lot more media back then. Um, 
you know, Jeremy Richmond, they had a McDonald's All-American. He was going to Illinois. He'd been going to Illinois since he was a freshman. So the hype around him was tremendous. The whole Illini nation was backing him. I, basically, the public forced the IHSA to let him play in a playoff game after, remember that, Joe? After he oh, got, yeah. I mean, public pressure was too great. Jeremy Richmond had to play. And the IHSA just relented, basically. It took away the technical that would have kicked him out. It was crazy. Um, when you went to Waukegan, the actual downtown, they renamed the streets after the five starters, like honorary temporarily, for like the whole year. Um, it, it, you got to the game, you had to be there like three or four hours early to get a ticket. People were lined up. I would go there, I'd get there early just to see the line in the freezing cold to try and see this thing. The Waukegan fan town, it was a huge deal. They're a massive thing. You know, they're not a bunch of rich people, so they weren't buying $20 tickets at some fancy thing, putting up, uh, but they showed up at state. You know, they, they were a major force, and it was a wonderful story um, for, for two years, you know, maybe a little longer, but they didn't get it done. And sometimes even when, you know, people like Joe and I are, are ticking through the great suburban things in the last few years, kind of don't remember (laughs) (laughs) which is crazy no and another one not to that degree but somewhat similar the thornwood eddie curry uh oh yeah you know i mean they i mean they lost to schomburg upset i would say the the without maybe it's just me I think we talked about this at the beginning, right before we started the podcast, and it maybe me being the junkie that I am, and just kind of the arrow that I, the one team that didn't win a state title that I honestly forget that they didn't, and I still view them as this iconic, <laughs> iconic team. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, they never won. Were those great, fun, just fantastic Rocky Hill Thornton teams? Mm-hmm. That lost a manual every single year. Uh, I mean, they just kept, they get to Peoria every That was the heyday. It was, that was the best rivalry that I can remember that wasn't really a natural neighborhood conference rivalry that I've ever seen. Um, it was like Lakers, Celtics, um, back in the eighties, only in the nineties was Thornton and, and, and Peoria Manual. And I, I can, Tick off that starting lineup and with Randall L and Eric Heron and Napoleon Harris and Eli and and that's the only thing, time I can really think of a team um, that did not win that still resonates with me. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you you think about if Stevenson, you know, they went to Peoria three years with Jalen Brunson and and brought home one title. If they never had gotten that title, you know it. It kind of changes the perception a little bit. So yeah. you're right. It's a big, and even more to this point, uh, my Joliet West, my Joliet Township always played that manual team better than Thornton did, but nobody remembers because <laughs> it was earlier and it didn't matter. It was in the semi and Thornton was so tied to that team. They were kind of like a, a package deal, the manual Thornton rivalry. Um, so yeah, totally. I mean, that Thornton team, Joe's talking about, they lost in the, anyway, in the first round to, uh, Farragut, oh, I'm sorry, they beat Farragut in that game, and I'm going to stop now. Um, I had another one everybody had forgotten. Um, boy, your Thornwood one was good. Um, I mean, that was a traveling circus for, what, Yeah, at least two years. I mean, that, that yeah, and everybody just immediately, 
Gosh, yeah, it, it, it's rough like that. I mean, we've had uh, the Proviso East teams. They never had the kind of captured the area's hearts quite no. like this. It was, but they were great teams, and they were undefeated yeah. as as your thing went through. Um, but yeah, you. So I guess my my, my point is, enjoy it <laughs> while you can, and you gotta get that that hardware because uh, in ten twenty years, that's all anybody's gonna remember. Um, speaking of hardware, uh, city championship. Uh, we got the Elite Eight coming up. We're actually that game's being played right now. The uh, Curie Lane. Let's see if Curie can uh, pull that one up. Do you have any uh, big? It'd be nice. I think it'd be for our storylines. It'd be kind of nice if Ken would win the city, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then we'd have this big foray power that just won the city. Yeah, it would it would help storyline storyline wise? Um. Other than that, I don't have a. We got it's Young Hyde Park, Kenwood Orr, Simeon Morgan Park. Well, last week we talked about. I, I said I'll be surprised or shocked, whatever word I used, um, if any of those top four didn't make semifinals. Uh, I, I that's changed for me. I would. I almost think Hyde Park's who, gonna beat Young. I don't understand what's going on with Young. Um, that Fashan loss. Yeah, I. I mean, Juliet West lost to them by one, the first game of the year with a bunch of the sophomore team. The Shans had some weird scores. I mean, they they've played yes. twenty three games against Illinois teams. <laughs> they've played more but, than Young has, like seriously. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> yeah, I don't. So I'm wondering about that. Hyde Park's played well in their big games. I think that's an, it. Is at Young, which I don't know. I think that's kind of a toss up. But yeah, that's that's changed for me a little bit. Um. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna stick to those four. I'll be still be about, surprised. Yeah. Wait, who's Curie? Who's Curie uh, um... Clark? If Curie wins the today, yeah. all right, all right. I think that's probably closer than. I don't see. Yeah. I don't understand the Simeon Morgan Park that first score. That was a close game, and I just saw Morgan Park, and I mean they got a nice triple double overtime win or whatever. But I don't understand why that was so close the first time. So I don't see that happening. I was talking to Robert Smith. He likes that team. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> Their backcourt was just—I don't understand. Liddell Miller, I lo- he was really good, and so was Aaron Warren. But yeah, the it wasn't guards. Io. It wasn't Io and Adam Miller. <laughs> yeah, the guards were not. Uh, yeah, that that was an odd one to me. I was pretty shocked. Um, actually, I expected um, a little better there. So yeah, Kenwood Orr is probably the best game um, if Orr can come and play. But they're all good. Um, it's hard to preview, I guess, since that's all we know. Um, We'll recap it. If we get a Kenwood Simeon title game, a Kenwood Simeon title yeah. game. I mean, who am I, who am I picking? Yeah, Is that I, I, it's a neutral site college court because the last game was at Kenwood. You know, tiny little tinderbox. I kind of, I mean, I just went on that Kenwood rant. I, yeah, I kind of feel like Kenwood's gonna win it. I mean, I picked Simeon to win it, so I'll stick with it, but yeah. I don't know. Kenwood's just... got the harder road, though, with Young or Hyde Park. And... But, yeah, you're right. It's Kenwood at, the, at their peak, I mean, and I think the college court will, will help against Simeon compared to their home tiny court. You know, Kenwood, they're fast. <laughs> no, not that Simeon isn't. And, and I think Wes Rubin's not going to be anywhere near the level he was. So what, 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 what day are they? They play f- Thursday at semis? 
Tuesday, tomorrow's the Elite Eight, Thursday's the semis, Saturday's the title game, and it'll be on the U live. The, sem- the championship. The championship, yes. But not the semis. I don't think so, no. And it's they're all at UIC? Yeah. All right. So it should be good. We should um, have a much better idea. But, yeah, I think it'd be, it would be kind of fun if just selfishly we want to have set up a nice state tournament, you know. If Glenbird West beats Simeon the last day of the year, if Kenwood beats Simeon in the city championship game, and they're both riding high into 4A. You're really throwing Simeon down the drain. Yeah, I mean, every, I, I've already said I think Simeon might be the best team, but if I wouldn't mind being wrong is all I'm saying, just for our storylines. to have If Simeon wins the city and if Simeon beats Glenbard West on the 18th, it's going to stink for March. Especially if Simeon doesn't win 3A then. Ugh. You know what I mean? It, I feel like that would really kill our playoff buzz. If Simeon beats both of our 4A contenders in the next two weeks. So, yeah, yeah I'm not into that idea. <laughs> Even though it, it very well could happen. So, sorry, Simeon. Um, yeah. I, I want, I want Champagne to be awesome. And I think it'd be great for the sport, uh, very much. But, all right. Yeah, uh, I can't wait for the 10 a.m. tip off. <laughs> Come on, Joe, we're going to be positive. It's going to be a positive, nah, exciting be, state uh, tournament. There's going to be one rip session now in the state tournament before I. Anyway, all right. That's funny. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you were into Glenbard West basketball. <laughs> but hey, you know, what, what are you going to do? It, it's that time of year. Um, I'm going to predict we don't talk about Glenbard West at all next year. <laughs> yeah, or ever again, maybe. Yeah. No, no, we'll talk about them again. Simple. But I'm, I'm, I'm guessing next year will be a little bit of a lull. Yeah, well, even next week, I'm sure will be really heavy city talk. You know, with the city tournament and some other. We'll stuff. be previewing Glenbard West, Simeon. That's true. We will be previewing that, but we'll have less actual uh, Glenbard West ball to talk about. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody.